morning. How are you guys doing today? Mostly decent, it sounds like. All right, well, we'll try and change that a little bit this morning. Welcome to this brand new series that we're kicking off today called Stretch Marks. And I know what you're thinking, but I promise you it's not what you're thinking, okay? We're, we're going we're gonna to figure this out together. God's got some ways that he wants to stretch you. And so we're going to talk about that over these next four weeks. Everything hinges, hinges upon the fact that God's got a plan for your life. But there's going to be some ways that he needs to stretch you and mold you and shape you in order for you to discover the path and plan that God wants to put you on. So let me tell you why we're going to talk about this here towards the beginning of a new year. Because studies would suggest that many of you set some goals at the beginning of the year. And this is the week that that's all about to go out the window. And so we need to come together and figure out that, no, 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 God probably helped me set this goal. It's probably a very good thing for my life. I need to accomplish it. Uh, I know some of you are probably thinking this week that, you know, seven looks a lot like an eight. Maybe I can just make that goal into an eight for next year and forget it. We're coming off as a church 21 days of prayer and fasting last night ended that. We're now in prayer and feasting mode. Anybody else with me on that? Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I can finally get some sugar in this body. But listen to me. No matter what has happened in your life up until this point, listen to me closely. This can be the best year of your life if, if it's your best year spiritually. This can be the best year of your life if it's your best year spiritually. God's got some things that he wants, I think, to teach us and stretch us. doesn't matter if you're young, old, rich, poor, male, female, any of that. God can do something in your life for, for a very powerful reason and to bring glory to his name. If you're still breathing, God's got a plan for you. He wants to help you in your life and he just needs to do some stretching, not like physical stretching, although that's probably part of it. I mean, I could use some physical stretching. That's good for your body. But nonetheless, spiritual stretching. God's got some spiritual stretching that he needs to do in your life. So these next four weeks together, I want us to dive into how God can stretch your faith and your finances and your time and your relationships. I'm serious that if you will allow God to stretch you in these areas, this can be the best year Ever. So let me show you something in Scripture. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Hope you all brought a Bible with you today. Matthew's going to be towards the back of your Bible, a place called the New Testament. How many of you all realize when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth? Okay, we're going to, in a very real way, find the words of God here today. We're going to see a, a sermon that Jesus preached. So God really does open his mouth here in this passage, Matthew chapter 6. You want the big six, the little number 25. This is again Jesus preaching. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? I don't know, Jesus. I am one pair of shoes away from being in a better mood right now. Uh, so maybe you're going to have to do better than that. Verse 26. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. 
And aren't you far more valuable to him than a bird? Rhetorical question, yes, you are. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No. Guess it can't. So why do we worry? It's a valid question. Why do we worry so much? It doesn't do us any good. Jesus is about to answer the question. Verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? And there's the answer to our question. Why do you worry so much? Because I don't know if you're really ready to admit this out loud, but it's because you have such little faith. You're not really trusting Jesus. In other words, God wants to stretch your faith in a variety of ways. And when he does, you won't worry so much. Let's keep reading. Verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, and they run after them. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. All your needs. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I'm going to summarize these verses this way. Something or someone will determine what you seek after in your life. You can let that be God or you can let that be culture. God will bring you to a place of freedom and it will allow you to enjoy your life. Jesus says that he came so you might have life and have it to the full. God's not trying to keep anything from you. He's not trying to rob you of any joy. And culture, on the other hand, will make you live in fear and worry. God says, seek after me, I'm going to take care of you. Culture says, if you just buy these things, then you'll be happy until something else comes out, you know, 30 seconds later, and then you'll probably need that one, and, and then you can be happy again. And it's this repetitive circle. Culture teaches a life bound by a treadmill where you're just running and running and running, chasing after what the Bible says, what the unbelievers need. Y'all seen those YouTube videos where dudes are running on the treadmill and they like trip and fall and then they like shoots them off into the back of the wall? That could be your life. Or you could seek after God and His righteousness and He'll provide all of your needs. You could have a freedom like nothing you've ever experienced before, which leads to peace and joy, and ultimately your best life. I saw an illustration that might help some of you. I brought some rocks with me today. Many of you have probably seen this illustration. It's not original to me. I saw it at a, uh, a business seminar a number of years ago. But this is your life. This jar represents your life. And these little pebbles and rocks are Everything that you tend to spend most of your time on, not necessarily big things, not even necessarily bad, wicked, wrong, evil things, okay? This is like, like Netflix and, and the Facebook and the Twitter and the 
gramming and pinning and like all that, and TV, I mean, whatever you got to do, sports, hunt, fish, shop, okay, shop online, dream about different things that you wish you had. This is what makes, this is how people spend most of their lives. Okay, you with me so far? One of you. Okay, great. Well, I thought this was good, but this represents all the big things in your life. This is like financial obligations. That's going to take up quite a bit of time. This is like marriage, right? I mean, this is a big, this is a big deal in life. That's going to take up a number of time. This is, this is job. Okay. I got, I got, I got to work, right? I need to, I got to figure out my life and and working. And then we got these kids running around, you know, got to figure them out half the time. And well, that's going to, I'm not sure I can get that in there. And then I've, you know, I've still got to figure out eating and the drive through, you know, I'm gonna have to figure out. And then all of a sudden life is coming out everywhere. My priorities seem to be exaggerated. I just don't have enough time to put it all in to get my life. Everything is running over. And people ask you, man, how, hey, how are you doing? Great day today. What, what's going on? Man? I'm busy. You know, busier than a gopher on a golf course. Can't, can't find enough time in the day, you know. But follow me. Because if you'll allow God to stretch you and figure out some of these major important things, you keep the main things, the main things. When you do what Jesus talked about, you seek first his righteousness. And he's going to allow all these other things to come into place. And you put God first in your finances and your marriage, and you allow him to stretch you a little bit. Then all of a sudden, you can get to season one, you got season two in there, and all of a sudden you can get on the face box as much as you need to get on. You can tweet all you need to tweet, and all of a sudden you can get everything in place. You shake this around a little bit, you still have enough room for all the things that you want to enjoy. Again, God's not trying to keep anything from you. He said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to provide all your needs as well. God might just need to stretch your faith. This might be a turning point for your life. These obligations are not going anywhere. But are they the main thing? Are you keeping your main thing the main thing? Because there's room for all your desires and everything that you want to enjoy in this life. There's room for everything if you'll put God first. Here's how I want you to write it down. What are my distinctions? God's made you very distinct. He's given you certain unique abilities and, and gifts and talents. So what makes you distinct? What makes you different? What are the things in your life that only you can do? makes you a good spouse, what makes you a good parent, what makes you a good student or athlete or teacher or coach or anything, what are your distinctions? How has God gifted and shaped and wired you and given you a certain personality and passions and character traits? What are those things in your life that make you distinct? Because watch this, Acts twenty twenty four, Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. 
couple words and sentences I want you to take note of. First of all, it's a race. Your life is a race. There's nothing wrong with having a busy, fast-paced life. Like, God knows what year we're living in. This is not a surprise to him that there's a lot of things happening in your life. And it's okay to be running this race in a busy life. My question is, is is your race worth running? That's a big question. Are the things you are chasing after the main things that God has asked you to chase after? Or are you chasing the things that unbelievers are chasing? Remember what Jesus said? Unbelievers, run after these things. Are you chasing the same things as those who don't believe in Jesus? Is your race God's race? See, I think many people get to the end of their life and they look back and they realize they've been running the wrong direction. What way are you running? Are you running towards God or are you running away from God? Another important sentence here in this passage says, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Again, Paul, the dude that wrote this, says everything in life is meaningless. My only aim is to chase after the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. Which again, you'll notice it's God who gives the task. It's Jesus who gives the task. It's not your culture giving you a task. It's not your friends. It's not your family. It's it's God. And what's the task? He says, to testify to the good news of God's grace. That's the task. That's the point. To testify to the good news of God's grace. That's the point of your life. To show and tell other people how much God loves them. He sent his son to die for them. He wants to be in a right relationship with them. Might I also point out that this race is specific to you. It's not your neighbor's race. It's not your brother or sister or cousin or family. I mean, anybody's race. It's your race. God wants you to complete it by relying on Him. In fact, you've maybe heard the old adage, Christianity is a marathon, not a sprint. Well, I think Christianity is a journey, not a destination. Yeah. That's good preaching, okay? <laughs> Christianity is a journey, not a destination. You've got to follow after God, His plan for your life. Just because you've accepted Christ as your Savior doesn't mean you've arrived. There's a whole life ahead of you. God is eternal, so there's always going to be something new to discover about Him. The Bible talks about your mercies are new every morning. But what's even cooler about this journey It's not only getting to discover things about God, but it's about discovering things within yourself, things that you maybe didn't even realize were there. Many of these distinctions that you need to discover will be found out over time. But despite that, we know that there's some time involved, but if you're anything like me, you're thinking, well, it'd be a whole lot simpler if God just told me the distinctions. Like, what's my race? You're talking about a race, Pastor. I'd run the race if I just knew what the race was. The good news is, he tells us the race. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. check it. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first 
and greatest commandment. Seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Your race is about a people, not a place. This is the race God has asked you to run. It's about all the people around you, not just in this room, but the people you interact with on a daily basis. You should wake up every single morning and ask yourself two questions. What can I do to love God more? What, what do I need to put into my life that will stir my affections for Jesus? What can I do to love God more? Here's your second question you need to ask. What can I do to help my neighbor? What do I need to do to love God? What do I do, need to do to love people? Just not, I'm not talking about your physical neighbor. I'm talking about anybody that God puts into your life. See, because they'll go on in this and ask Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And if you know the story in the Bible of the Good Samaritan, that's the story Jesus tells. And the point of that story is to tell you that anybody that God puts in your path is your neighbor. doesn't matter if you're a longtime enemy, anything. Anybody God chooses to put in your path is your neighbor. And you're called to love God and love your neighbor. Neighbor. So if you want to have the best year of your life, and it's got to be your best year spiritually, and it starts by stretching your faith and running your race. And the first thing that you got to do is learn your distinctions. How has God wired me and shaped me and molded me? What can I do in my current life to love God more? How can I stir my affections for the Lord? And how can I love the people around me. But part of knowing your distinctions is knowing number two, which is what are my distractions? See, I I can learn my distinctions, but if something's distracting me, it's going to keep me from my distinctions. Look at this, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. It's a distraction. It goes on to say, and the sin that so easily entangles us. You got sin in your life. Is it keeping you from your best life? Jesus is going to go on to say, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Again, there's our terminology again. This is a race. We're sprinting after God. It goes on forever. There's nothing wrong with running a race, but our race is about loving God and loving others. So now we have to figure out what's entangling us, what's keeping us from running our race, what obstacles are in our path that's keeping us from the best life possible. I'll say it this way. It's probably going to hurt some of your feelings, and I'm sorry I'm not sorry, but I'd encourage you to seek God with this, because this is God trying to tell you something. God did not intend for your life to look cluttered, okay? Uh, maybe I made all of you mad right there, okay? I, I'm, I'm again, sorry for that. But if your life is cluttered up with junk, that's what Hebrews 12.1 is talking about. It's keeping you from running your race. You need to throw off all those things, the sin that so easily entangles. Now listen, listen. It's okay if your closet looks that way, okay? I don't care about that, okay? Your car junked all up and trash everywhere. I mean, hey, it is what it is, right? I mean, there's got some artisty types that, you know, just don't think of that. So that's fine. Your attic looks like a wreck. But if your finances are a train wreck, if your marriage is all cluttered up with junk, if 
trying to parent your kids is a disaster. Your friends, okay, they're leading you to your not best life possible. That's what God's talking about. It's cluttered. It's junk. It's keeping you from your best life. You're not running your best race. I'll give you an example of this. The other day I was talking to a, a window salesman. We're trying to come to an, uh, an agreement on, on some new windows. And uh, in, in order for him to give me a price, he had to open up his computer and log into the software and all that. And I sit next to him. So I just happened to see that he had over 2,000 unread emails. And it like stressed me out just seeing that. Like I get mad if there's more than 20 in my inbox. Like, I mean, I got folders out the yin yang and, you know, a folder under that folder. Because, I mean, I just can't deal with that. And this dude has over, like, what if you're missing something, bro? What if I'm emailing you and I need a price? And this is part of your 2,000 unread emails. You got to get that sorted out. But it's kind of what I mean. If you're not organized within your life, it's cluttered with If you've got 2,000 emails, that's fine. I don't care. I'm saying if, if your life looks that way, you're missing out on your best life. It's, it's not sinful to have unread emails. But if it's carrying over, again, to your finances and your walk with God and, and being a better parent or spouse or whatever, then that's a problem. You're not running your best race. And God might be trying to stretch some of you a little bit right now because this is really a faith issue. I'm going to prove it to you. Okay, I'll give you three quick examples that God talked about. Some distractions that might be in your life that's keeping you from your best year and ultimately life possible. You might remember in the first book of the Bible, a book called Genesis, there's a guy named Abraham. And God told Abraham, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to give you descendants more numerous than the seashore. Abraham's in his 90s at this point. His, his wife is close to 90, and they have, don't have any kids. He says, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to bless your life, and I'm going to give you descendants more numerous than the stars. If you know the story of Abraham, you know that that ultimately happened through his son and and the, the people of Israel come out of Abraham's line. And it's shortly after a guy named Joseph, you see this people get imprisoned and enslaved in Egypt. Probably close to the millions of Israelites being enslaved by Egypt. So God had to send Charlton Heston in as Moses to rescue these people. Uh, that's not in your Bible. Don't look that up. God had to send Moses in to rescue these people, but even Moses couldn't get the people to realize that they were a disaster. So eventually they circle around a promised land that God had promised them for 40 years traveling around. Ultimately, God leads a guy to Joshua, to, to the land of Canaan, which ultimately, ultimately becomes Israel. But in the midst of creating this nation, rescuing these people out of this country and, and bringing them to the promised land, God gave these people some commandments. There's over 600 of them written in Scripture. Most of us know the top 10 because they were written on some stones. And there's a whole big thing about that. You don't have to worry about that right now. But I'm going to give you three of these commandments that God gave. They're not in your notes, but you might want to write them down. The first one is God said, you got to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Now, keep in mind, 
God is communicating this to Moses and to a people in a time period where there's no refrigeration, okay? You work, you eat whatever you harvest. There's no way to to prolong the food at this point. And God says, no, 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 I want you to take a whole day off. And they're thinking, but but God, if we don't work, we don't eat, how are we going to eat? And God says, no, 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 you have to rely on me. See, it's a faith issue. And see, how does this apply to your life uh, in, in 2017? You too need to be having a Sabbath. You too need to be having a day off. See, in this time period, the, the Sabbath was on Saturday, and God says on Saturday, you need to be all about me and, and worshiping me. And then a few thousand years later, Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And so then they moved the day to Sunday. You might be curious, well, how do we get a two-day two weekend, Pastor? Well, because America, God bless us, we're just equal opportunity. We couldn't decide if we wanted it on Saturday or Sunday. So we said, hey, let's have both days. Yes, two days, baby, two Sabbath days. God bless America, everybody, two days off. But nonetheless, we're supposed to take one day off to celebrate God, where we are ultimately relying on him. That's what the Sabbath is all about, a day of rest to rely and recenter our focus on God. Why? Because God has made a way for your sins to be forgiven and for you to be in a right relationship with him. Despite anything that you've ever done, God says, I I made a way for you. You can be forgiven. All your sins, past, present, future sins, forgiven because of Jesus. And you need to take a day to remember that. And you need to take a day to serve me and me only and celebrate everything that I've done on your behalf. So really what I'm asking you is what's your Sabbath look like? What's your day off look like? Are you still working on Sunday? Shouldn't be. If you're an athlete, are you watching game film on Sunday? Shouldn't be. You need to be celebrating God. You need to be relaxing, recentering your focus. You checking your phone returning the emails. My advice to you is five days for your employer, one day for your spouse, one day off. One day off. God commanded it in Scripture. You see it all the way back in the beginning. Six days, Jesus rested on the seventh. He commands a day for you to revive yourself. Jesus will go on to say and say, Sabbath was created for you, right? For you to relax. What's created? It's for you to celebrate God. Jesus says, you need to be having Sabbath. Stop working all the time. Why? It's a distraction. It's a distraction. Jesus says, you're not running your best race if you're working every single day. You need time to relax. Recenter your focus. So I'd encourage you, figure out your Sabbath. Might be a distraction. Here's another distraction. Money. Money can be a distraction. We're going to talk about this more later in the series, but God instituted a rule on money thousands of years ago when he created a nation. He said, there's two rules for your money. We need to talk about tithes and offerings. Okay, a lot of people like to focus on the tithe part, but there's two rules. There's a tithe and an offering. Tithe literally translates tenth part. You should be giving a tenth part to God. Offering is anything above and beyond your tenth part. Keep in mind who God was talking to. These people were not earning wages. They're wandering around in the desert, and God says, you need to give part of your stuff back to me. They're tithing livestock. 
grain, bread, fruits, vegetables, anything that they can get, herbs. And this is what God asks them to give back to him. Why? Because those things can become a distraction. And the same thing happens in the year 2017, where money has become a distraction in our life, where we're not relying on God. It's a faith issue. God says, I know all your needs, and I'll take care of them. If what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things are going to be added to you as well. Do you trust God enough to submit a portion of your income back to him? That's ultimately the question that God poses to the people of Israel thousands of years ago, and he's posing the same question to you today. Do you trust God enough with your money that he'll see it out towards the end? I can make a really strong biblical case that if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're not running your best race. You got a distraction. It's your money. Most people in America right now are buying things they can't afford to impress people they don't even like, right? I mean, what's the point of that? We're chasing the treadmill that I talked about at the beginning of the message. We're just running and running and running. It's only a matter of time before we fall and sling off the back. Can today you say money's no longer be a distraction in my life? I'm going to submit a portion of my income to God. I'm going to trust him and see how he blesses me. This can be your best life if it's your best life spiritually. Best year. If it's your best year spiritually. My personal advice has always been, you should give 10 to God. You should save 10 in case something bad happens. And you should live on 80. Live on 80% of your income, whatever that is. Give 10 to God, save 10. Man, it creates such just a, a stress, borderline stress-free life. Because God is providing the peace and you're relying on him for everything, okay? I'm not asking you to give the church any money. Okay, so don't hear me say that. I'm asking you to ask God what you should do. Has money become a distraction for you? That's all I'm asking. Is it a distraction? Last distraction I want to mention. Overabundance. Okay, you might say, well, what, how is this? I don't remember ever reading in the Bible about overabundance, Pastor. Here's the word the Bible uses. Gleaning. Gleaning. Okay, you can read about it all over in the Old Testament. It's probably most famous because of Ruth and Boaz. But essentially, God commanded his people to only harvest the center section of their field. And they were to leave the outer edges of the field for the gleaners, for those widows or people who couldn't afford food or somebody just sojourning or traveling through the area. God commanded them to leave a portion of their field. And you, can't you just see God working this out? He says, love me first and love people. Give to me first and give to people. This is the message of Scripture. But anyway, you're thinking, I know, Pastor, I, I ain't a farmer, bro. I'm terrified of livestock. I have no, you know, well, how does this even apply to, I work in an office, okay? No field, no farm background at all. What does gleaning have to do with me? Here's what it has to do with you. The Bible's talking about, are you seeking after things only for your benefit? There's nothing wrong with having nice things. And if you can afford a nice house and a nice car, Always get nervous for the guy who's about to walk out into a BMW, right? I mean, you're fine. Love your BMW. Okay, it's great. I'm glad you have it. Nothing wrong with that. God says, are you doing that to impress somebody? 
You're just doing it because it's a, it's a fantastic automobile. You know, can you afford these things? This is what Bible talks about. Is it a distraction? Is your time and thought process consumed by, if I just had this, I would be happy? Bible says, no, 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 no. Seek first after me. I'll provide the things that you need. If you're working 50, 60, 70 hours a week in order to get these things, you're not running your best race. This is the sin that so easily entangles that somehow these things will make you happy. Listen, it doesn't work that way. It's affecting your marriage. It's affecting your friends. It's affecting your kids. God says, seek after me. Stop desiring all the things and running after the things that unbelievers run after. Chase after me. I'll give you the things that you need. Again, God might just be trying to stretch you today. This is a faith issue. Do you trust God enough to provide everything that you need in this life? Many Americans are trading peace for prosperity. Unfortunately, there's a number of pulpits around America you can go to and they'll teach prosperity gospel. It's not the message of the Bible. You love God, you love people, and God's going to supply your needs, not to your wants. Amen, somebody. Close by saying this. God wants you to have your best life. He wants peace in your life, deep in your soul. Not anxiety, not stress, not worry, not thinking about what if I don't get it all done? How am I going to keep up? I can't even do the things I'm doing. It's not the life God wants for you. It's not your best life. Most people get to God only in a crisis. And they start thinking, how could God allow me to go through this? Pastor, you don't know me, you don't know my marriage, my financial, financial situation. I'm spending hours and hours and thousands of dollars. I got medical bills, I got counseling appointments, trying to keep the kids in soccer and school. I'm just in this huge crisis. I don't have time for all this other stuff. And yet, if you would have invested that time and that money on the front end, God wouldn't have needed to get your attention on the back end with a crisis. If you'd put first things first, God would work out these secondary issues for you. Don't just sit through an hour of church today and think to yourself, hey, that was good. You know, pastor got fired up and all that. No, 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 no. Let January 29th be the day that you can point back to and say, God changed my life. God did something to stretch my faith on this day. And from this point forward, I'm going to live the best life possible. I'm going to run my race, the race that God set for me. I'm not going to let culture tell me my race anymore. I'm not going to let my family tell me my race anymore. I'm not going to let my friends tell my race anymore. I'm going to run my race. I'm going to know my distinctions. I'm going to know why God's created me. I'm going to know my distractions so they're not going to come up and keep me from my best life anymore. Today's the day that God stretched my faith. I'm going to point back to this day as the day. Everything changed. 
I ran the best race possible. I lived the best life I could live because of God's glory. I'm going to wake up every morning. I'm going to stir my affections for the Lord. And I'm going to try to help people around me. Amen, anybody? Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come and gather here this morning. Learn more from your scripture. God, I pray that you would open up hearts and open up minds right now to the truth of your word that you said you would provide all of our needs. God, show people their distinctions right now. Show them what makes them unique. Give them ways that they can use this uniqueness for your glory. God, teach people what is distracting them. Bring things to their mind right now that, that, that they need to get rid of. Not even wrong, sinful things. There's things that are keeping them from their best life. God, my biggest prayer right now is that anybody in this room right here or listening online has, has never put their trust in you as their Savior in order for them to discover this race that you have set for them. As we continue to pray, if that's you this morning, you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Because the Bible says, if you confess and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Biggest decision you could possibly make. Way more important than your distinctions and distractions is putting your faith in Jesus Christ right now. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just follow me in this prayer. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've sinned. Sorry I haven't lived my best life. But I believe in your son that he died for me and rose for me. And because of that, I'm made new. Thank you for saving me. Help me live my best life. Thank you for that life, Lord. Thank you for everybody here this morning. Help each person be able to leave today knowing that you've made a difference in their life. You've stretched their faith in some capacity and they're going to trust you in that area of their life. They're going to love you more and they're going to love their neighbor more. In Jesus' name. Amen.